Thanks so much, Isadora. Well, good afternoon, Grace Church. Uh, if I haven't had the pleasure to meet you yet, my name is Jack. Uh, I am indeed from the great state of Texas, and uh, I serve as a minister in residence here on staff at Grace Church. Now, for the past five weeks, uh, we have been going through the book of Job, and the Lord has really blessed our time in the book of Job. And uh, next week, I'm really excited because we're going to be launching into a new series in the book of Romans. But today, we're going to study a psalm that has been very impactful in my life and my personal walk with the Lord. Today, through Psalm 1, we will see that true delight comes to those who follow God's instruction for life that He has revealed to us in His Word. Let's pray. God, we come forward before you this morning or this afternoon, God. Um, God, proclaiming that you are good, and you are holy, and you are righteous. God, we're so grateful for the gift of your word. God, how we can read it and see more of you and what you've done for us. God, would you give us the wisdom this afternoon to listen and to hear what you would have to say to us? God, would you open our hearts to the truth that we see uh, in your word? And it's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. So one thing that we should note uh, before we jump in is that this psalm falls into the biblical genre of wisdom literature. So books like Proverbs and Ecclesiastes and the book of Job that we just studied all fall into the same category. So wisdom literature helps us grow in godly wisdom by helping guide us in how we should live our lives with godly priorities. They help us learn how to walk faithfully with the Lord in this life. So by studying passages like Psalm 1, we learn more about how sin and wickedness and righteousness play out in the world in general. So do me a favor, stop for a second and think about how you classify people. Like, for example, when you're walking down the sidewalk or you find yourself in Yas Mall and there's this big crowd of people around you, when you see those people around you, what crosses your mind? When you see a stranger for the first time, what boxes do you try to start putting them into? What do you notice about them? What are some of the assumptions that you begin to draw about someone when you see them for the first time? You see, our family, we moved to Abu Dhabi here about a year and a half ago. And my favorite thing about this city is the diversity of the people that live here. I mean, even as I look out across the room tonight, I can literally see people from all over the planet. And it is such a beautiful thing. So whenever I see somebody for the first time here, I try to guess their nationality. It's really fun to try to figure out where people are from. And maybe you do something similar, right? Maybe you look at something, someone, and the first thing you do is judge how pretty they are, or maybe how strong or, or how tall they are, maybe how much money they have. See, the list goes on and on and on for the number of categories that we can use to judge people. But as we look at this chapter from the book of Psalms, it makes very clear that there are two overarching categories that all of us fall into. 
A matter of fact, every man throughout history falls into one of these categories. You either walk in the way of the righteous man or you walk in the way of the wicked. So as we look at this psalm today, I want to challenge you to prayerfully ask these two questions. Which man am I? And what am I truly delighting in? We'll start off first by taking a look at the righteous man in the first few verses. So you haven't already, go ahead and open up your books to your Bibles to Psalm 1 and let's see together. It says this, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. Now, I don't want to leave any doubts in your mind as we go through this passage. If you have believed in the good news of the gospel, and you've put your hope and trust in the life and work of Jesus Christ, this is a description of your life. This is who you are, and this is what God is currently doing in your life. Now, do we fail sometimes? Do we fall into sin? Absolutely. But this is a description of how your life usually looks. Now, let's break down the section and see what the psalmist is describing here. The first word of the passage tells us that this is a blessed man. Now, the word blessed isn't something that we tend to use in our day-to-day -day language. And so another way that we could translate this word is by saying he's a really happy man. You see, there's a deep contentment that this man has. This word blessed is the reality of every believer's heart. As we saw in the book of Job, our joy and satisfaction in the Lord should not be dictated by our circumstances. Do we hurt? Do we grieve? Do we suffer sometimes? Absolutely. But even in the darkest of times, this man has a reason to be content. The word who in verse 1 helps set up the next few statements by telling us what this man does. And so another way that we could rephrase this first statement is by saying, oh, how happy is the one who will do X, Y, and Z. And then the psalmist tells us clearly what this righteous man does and does not do that gives him this happiness. It says that he walks not in the counsel of the wicked nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. And so here we're introduced to the second man, who we will call the wicked man. We see that the righteous man and the wicked man are actually both existing in the same space. And the two of them are doing life together in close proximity to one another. But we see here that they're living two different lives. The righteous man knows and he sees and he hears how the wicked man is living his life, and yet he has chosen to live his life differently. Another term that we use a lot for this wicked man is the world. So while we live according to God's words and his commandments, the world does not. We do not succumb to the same human ideologies that everyone else around us subscribes to. And while we have different morals and even different values, and we reject the things of this world that contradict 
what is in God's word. See, we are in the world, but God has given us these barriers around us, his instruction that keeps us from sin. God doesn't give us commandments because he's withholding something from us. Rather, it's when we obey these commandments that we experience fullness of life. These boundaries are a great thing, church. Oftentimes, we equate the world or this wicked man with terrible sins like adultery and stealing and murder, and that's absolutely true. The reality is the counsel of the wicked is often subtle. If you just get this job and you make this much money, everything's going to be okay. Hey, you know what, man? You do you. Do what feels right in your heart. Follow your heart. My, my positive vibes will ultimately return back positivity to me, right? See, this is what the world tries to convince you to believe. And it can come down to even simple moments in our lives like, what we listen to, and what we watch on TV. See, the righteous man understands the general principle of garbage in and garbage out. He's not taking counsel from the wicked because he knows that he is deeply and easily influenced by the things that he takes into his heart and the things that he takes into his mind. And so all of us here today, church, we are all human beings, and most of the time, deep down, we really want to fit in with those around us. We don't want to be the, the odd guy out who thinks differently or, or gets made fun of, right? And we don't want to be seen as some kind of outsider. We want to belong. And although that may not inherently be a bad thing, we see here that the Bible is clearly instructing us to live differently than the world. Next, we'll see the significant thing that separates the righteous man from the wicked. Take a look at verse 2. But his delight, the righteous man's delight, is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. The psalmist tells it that this man loves God's word. He has found a true joy in his life by studying God's instruction and obeying what it says. His life has been radically changed by what he has read in God's words, in God's word. And I think it would be helpful for us to look at Ezekiel 36, where it says exactly what has happened to this man. It says this, starting in verse 26, and I, the Lord, will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh, and I will give you a heart of flesh. See, this passage helps us to see that this righteous man once was the wicked man. He too had a heart of stone, and he sought his delight in the things of this world. But God took what was hard and dead, and he replaced it with something that was alive and warm. Instead of God's word being a drudgery, it's now what this man is craving. Verse 3 tells us that he not only delights in God's word, but he also meditates on it. He reflects upon the things that he's reading in God's word, and he ponders them deep in his heart. 
And it says that he does this day and night. There's this idea that he is constantly doing it. Brothers and sisters, we must treasure God's word. So you may ask me, well, Jack, why should I do that? So let's take a look at uh, 2 Timothy 3, verses 14 through 16. And it says this, But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you have learned it and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, Scripture, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. So in the Scriptures, we see who Christ is and what he has done for us. We see that the Bible reveals to us the life and work of Jesus, and that is through faith in what this Bible says, we might be saved from our sins. We have to see this clearly. The Bible shows us more of Jesus, our Savior. The whole thing, the entire book is centered on him. And that is where our delight is found. It's found in Christ. Second Timothy goes on to say this, that all scripture is breathed out by God and it's profitable for teaching and for reproof and for correction and for training in what? Righteousness, yeah? The righteous man is made righteous through his faith in Christ and now corrects his life according to God's instruction. See, God has given us this wonderful gift of his word, and we must use it and read it and obey it. The psalmist goes on to give us a beautiful picture of this righteous man. He says in verse 3, He is like a tree planted by the streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. It says that the righteous man was planted by the streams of water. So that means that before, this righteous man wasn't there. He was far away from this stream of life, and he was wandering around in a desolate place looking for something that might satisfy his thirst. And God, being gracious and rich in mercy, he's gone out of his way to take us from this dry and barren land And in his sovereignty, he has placed us in a place where we can find life and we can find sustenance. And church, we did nothing to deserve us, but he went out of his way to bring us life and praise God for that truth. About a month and a half ago, uh, my family and I, we went on vacation to Amsterdam. And uh, while we were there, uh, the Netherlands was celebrating uh, the start of tulip season. And uh, like tulip, like the flower, right? And uh, there was all these little shops that were all over the city uh, where you could buy these tulips, but then also you could buy almost any other seed that you could imagine. And so we bought some seeds for a lemon tree, hoping that we could grow it in our backyard here in Abu Dhabi. And let me tell you, I have worked so hard to get this tree to grow. And to this day, I was out there watering it and it still has not shown any signs of life. But what if I told you that I love that lemon tree so much that I have bought a ticket, and I'm going to fly back to Europe, 
and I'm going to pack up my little lemon tree seeds, and I'm going to go find the prettiest and biggest river that I can find in Europe. And I'm going to plant those seeds in a place where I know that it has everything that it needs for life, and one day it will have beautiful lemons. Brothers and sisters, this is what our God has done for us. He has paid a great cost and gone out of his way by sending his son to die on our behalf so that we could be planted by this stream. He has now provided us with his word so that we could know him and we could follow his instruction that leads to fullness of joy. We also see in the passage that the righteous man bears fruit in its season and no matter the time of year, his leaf does not wither. So that means that even in the fiercest of droughts, this tree doesn't die. Its roots are sunken deep by the stream of life, and there is absolutely nothing that can kill it. Now, are there seasons where this man may seek delight in other things? Are there times when he doesn't delight in God's law? Absolutely. But the good news is, is that God has placed this massive, beautiful stream to him that reminds him where his joy is truly found. You see, he may struggle at times, but church, he will surely live. I believe the fruit that the righteous tree bears is godliness. He's living his life in a way that looks like Jesus's life. And when you think about it, a tree doesn't produce fruit for itself, right? We as humans, we look at it and we admire how beautiful it is. And we pick the fruit from the tree and we eat it because it's delicious, right? And it's enjoyable. And over time and in seasons of faithfulness, others will see the fruit in our lives and they'll be attracted to it. And not only attracted to it, others will benefit when we are conformed more to the likeness of Christ. See, the Bible describes this fruit as loving your neighbor more than yourself, having joy in the midst of pain, having a peace that surpasses all understanding. How about the humility of a husband who goes out of his way to serve his family despite having a really long, difficult day at work? being patient and gentle with our children, even after they've been crying for an hour and we have no clue why. Faithfully sharing the gospel with those who don't believe and graciously forgiving those who have wronged us. See, church, the list goes on and on, but others can clearly see this fruit, this light of Christ shining through your life. He ends this description of the righteous man by saying that he prospers in all that he does. And from our time in the book of Job, we know that he is clearly not talking about a material prosperity. There's not a promise of that here. This is referring back to that fruit that is produced. He uses these Christ-like qualities to build others up. His prosperity is in the Lord, and it is the Lord's. So I challenge you to ask yourself this question. Have I described your life? 
How much do you meditate on God's word? What are you choosing to sink your roots into? As we all answer these questions across the room, our answers probably differ. And the truth is, is that we all delight in God's word to varying degrees. But church, the truth still holds. We are planted by this magnificent stream, and we have our hope in something greater, and we, church, shall not perish. And the more we cherish and the more we delight in God's word, the more we see our Savior, Jesus. Now let's take a look at uh, verse 4 and 5, and we will see the description of the wicked man. It says this, the wicked are not so. The Bible makes it very clear again that these two men are very different. The wicked are not so. So that means that everything that we just talked about regarding the righteous man, it doesn't apply to the wicked. They don't delight in God's word. They haven't been planted by this stream of life, and they don't bear fruit. In church, their leaves will surely wither and pass away. See, instead of sinking their roots in the stream of God's word, they're hopelessly planted in the Lewa Desert, a lifeless, hopeless, empty expanse. It says that they are like chaff that the wind drives away. You see, chaff is this meaningless, meaningless uh, uh, byproduct that comes from the process of harvesting grain. And so in these days, a farmer would gather up all of his harvest, and he would carry it up on top of a hill. And he would take two heavy objects, like massive stones, and he would place his harvest in between these two stones. And using his animals, he would, he would drag away uh, the stone on top, thrashing the harvest in between these two uh, stones. And you see the grain that's inside of this chaff, it's what's valuable. And this grain is actually much heavier than this chaff was. And so what he would do is he would grab just handfuls of this harvest and he would throw it up high in the air. And the grain being heavier, it would fall back down to the ground so that the farmer could collect it for use. Meanwhile, the meaningless and worthless chaff it would just be blown away in the wind from atop the hill. You see, the chaff of the wicked and the fruit-bearing tree of the righteous could not stand in greater contrast of one another. The wicked man has no reality of the living God in his life. He shows no regard for God's instruction. So where is this all leading to? Let's take a look at verse 5. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the, in the judgment, nor the sinners in the congregation of the righteous. And at the end of verse 6, it says this, the way of the wicked will perish. So as we mentioned earlier, this righteous man and the wicked man are both today coexisting in the same space. But this makes it clear 
that there will come a day when the righteous and the wicked will be separated. It says here that the wicked will not stand in the judgment. Now, to be clear, this doesn't mean that they get a hall pass and somehow get around or, or get by uh, not having to go under this judgment. No, this means that when judgment day comes, the wicked will not stand with acceptance before a holy God. They will be held responsible for what they took delight in in their time here on earth. And verse 6 goes back to this image of the chaff. They, the wicked, will perish. Verse 6 goes back to the righteous, and it says this of the righteous man, the Lord knows the way of the righteous. This knows here is talking about a deep relationship that the Lord has with the righteous. He has a love for them. He provides for them. And he loves the way or the path that the righteous man has chosen to walk. You see, the righteous man in his time here on earth, he took delight in the things of the Lord. And the Lord now takes delight in him. So I mentioned at the beginning uh, that this passage means a lot to me. I've seen it play out uh, in my life in a very, very powerful way. I'll share a little bit about my story behind that. When I was in high school, um, my closest friend group was made up of myself and uh, three other guys. We all came from different backgrounds and uh, different different weight walks of life. Um, but over that time together, we truly became brothers. At that point in my life, there was nobody closer to me in my life than these three brothers. Um, so after high school, we went off to college. All of us stayed uh, in the general vicinity close to one another. And uh, my freshman year of college, I came home from work one day uh, to my teary-eyed mom telling me, that David had passed away in a tragic car accident. A happy-go-lucky world that I'd lived in my entire life, it came crashing down right before my eyes. And this was the first time in my own life that I had suffered um, and experienced severe loss. I had just lost a brother. And from there, I, I spiraled into confusion and questioning God and eventually found myself, um, what I could later figure out was depression. Um, and I was, yeah, very, very lonely. I was a believer at the time, but to be honest, I wasn't walking in a really close relationship with the Lord. And uh, so one afternoon, I, I opened up my Bible, and I was looking for some sort of hope, any kind of answer that the Lord had for me in my situation. And that was when I opened up and I came to Psalm 1. God immediately convicted me of my sin. It became clear that I was delighting in things outside of God. And they were leaving me empty every single time. So for the first time in my life, I see that there is this fountain and stream of life that the Lord has to offer in his word. And so I committed for the first time in my life to read God's word regularly. And I believe that if I studied his word 
that I would see more of Christ and I would find my joy in Him. And it was amazing, right? Every day I felt like the Lord was giving me more of Him. I was understanding the, the things that I was reading. I was taking time to memorize His Word. And although I was grieving, right? I just lost a friend. Although I was grieving, although I was hurting, I had faith in what I was reading. I trusted the Lord. The story didn't end there. Less than a year later, um, in my sophomore year of college, me and uh, Zach, who was one of the other th uh, three friends, had moved in together. And in this year and in this time where I had committed to reading God's word, I was growing in the Lord more than ever. I was living with my best friends. I was honestly having one of the best years of my life, and I was making so many memories. And then one day as I was checking out at the grocery store, it's when my other friend called me, and he said that Zach had passed away in a tragic head-on collision when he was driving home. I was so unbelievably angry. I had just lost the two closest people in my life within a calendar year. I had no clue what to do. How could God allow this? I had just gotten back on track with him. I was growing in him, and I was even seeking him. How could God do this to me? And that afternoon, after I got the news, uh, I went back home because I knew the funeral and stuff was coming. And um, while I was at home, I, I left from there, and I drove to my high school football field. And I was uneasy. My mind was racing with a million different thoughts and a million different questions. And I knelt down in the middle of the field, and I was ready to scream at God, and I was ready to question God just like I had with David's death. And as I was sitting there thinking of ways to be angry at God, the only thing that came out of my mouth was the verses that I had been meditating on and memorizing in the past year. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and he saves the crushed in spirit. And I will go to the altar of God, to my exceeding joy, and I will praise you, O oh God, my God. I was crushed. I was devastated. I still had a million questions running through my mind. But my heart was planted by the stream. I had an overwhelming peace an understanding of God and his love for me. See, in that moment, my hope was placed in something greater. So Grace Church, what does this passage mean for us today? The first thing I think this passage is calling us to is to pursue righteous, righteousness by consuming and meditating and obeying God's word. So every day, block out times throughout the day where you are reading and listening to and, and even memorizing God's Word. And see, when we are in the Word, it's often most, most of the time when we can see Christ most clearly. 
And here at Grace, there's a number of ways in which you can practice this. Be faithful. Come to church every Saturday and sit under the teaching of God. Volunteer for kids ministry, where you get to prepare a lesson and then from a lesson from God's word and then teach it to others. Come to home group. Join a DNA where we weekly gather to study God's word and speak truth from God's word into each other's lives. Open up God's word as a friend group, as a couple, as a family. So Jesus said in, in Matthew 4.4, 4, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Church, we have the words of God recorded for us in this book. Look to God's word to sustain you. Second, live radically different lives than the world does. You see, people from the outside, they tend to look at Christianity and they deem it as another of another religion with just a bunch of rules to follow. But we know that God has established these boundaries for our good. And it's when we abide in his word and we obey these commandments and pursue righteousness, that is when we will find true joy in our lives. See, the way we live our lives will set us apart from the world. Romans 12, 2 encourages us in this way. It says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. God gives you a new mind, new passions, new desires. As we talked about earlier, the way of the wicked can be subtle and tempting. So sink your roots deep and far into the word of God so that you can know when the world is trying to offer you false hope. Third, in all circumstances, take hope in the promises of God because he promises to sustain you. So as we learn from uh, the book of Job, our circumstances do not change who God is. Christ is our firm foundation on which we are built. And we are to live our lives by faith. And we can find hope even when things are hard and even when we don't feel like delighting because we have faith in the promises that God has given to us through his word. Church, we trust him and we can have assurance knowing that our joy rests not in the temporary things of this world, but rather in the life and work of Christ. Now today, if you read this passage, study this passage with us, and you find yourself identifying with a wicked man, there is great, great news for you. Jesus, God in the flesh, he came down to earth, and he walked amongst the wicked of the world, and he loved them. He healed their sicknesses. He, he dined at their tables, and he looked on them with compassion. And even though he himself perfectly followed the law his whole life, and he never did a single thing wrong, he chose to lay down his life for the wicked. He took the punishment that you and I deserved, and he nailed it up there on that cross. And in a beautiful display of his power, he rose up from the grave, making a way for the wicked who were far off from God to be back 
in relationship with God himself. And Jesus says that he is the bread of life. And truly, truly, whoever believes in me shall have eternal life. So if you find yourself in the shoes of the wicked man today, turn from the small puddles of the world that are offering you false hope. Dig your, dig your roots deep next to the stream of everlasting joy. Let's pray. God, we come before you and we praise you because you are a good and gracious king to us. We thank you for your word where you have given us so many amazing stories that display your power and your love for your people. Lord, thank you for the cross. Thank you for paying the ultimate price, for giving us salvation that we didn't deserve. Help us to see you more clearly, Lord. Help us to sink our roots into you and to trust you. Give us wisdom to understand your word and meet us as we seek you. God, we ask that you would center Grace Church and everything that we do on your word for your glory alone. Thank you so much for meeting us in this place today. We love you, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.